he was going to whistle over shit. So he was going to say, yeah, that person was back crazy. <laughs> and we did this bit. We were talking and he goes, yeah, that person is crazy. Oh, no. And then it's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 48, the Jacob deGrom edition of the podcast. That name may sound familiar from when I went on a mini rant about him in episode 45 because of buffoons who said he shouldn't have won the Cy Young Award in 2018 with the Mets. I must reiterate the point, though. There are those who work in sports media who get paid to give sports takes that are allegedly supposed to be correct. I'm not talking about those shows where the hosts just troll everyone for content like Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless. I'm talking legit sports talk shows, and on PTI a few years ago, one of the hosts railed on about how DeGrom should not have won the Cy Young Award because he didn't win enough games. That's because he was on an awful Mets team that gave him no run support. That was ridiculously asinine, good word. He led the league with an earn run average of 1.70 that year. The next closest guy was 2.37. The host's point, cough, Will Montcoff, was that he didn't win enough games, and that's all you should measure a pitcher by, since he went just 10-9 and nine that year. Thankfully, thankfully, DeGrom did win the Cy Young Award. It's just so stupid that the same host said Ben Roethlisberger should be the MVP in the NFL because the Steelers at that point were undefeated and it was all about winning games. Well, I don't know. How about Patrick Mahomes being the MVP or, or maybe Aaron Rodgers? Those guys are far better than Big Ben this year. But no, it's only about winning games, apparently. To borrow a popular phrase from that same network, come on, man. Now that I've fired myself up, let's go to the interview with someone who should calm me down, I think. So without further ado... Let's get cracking. Okay, and now welcome on my good friend Gurdeep Alawalia. You might know him as the heartthrob news anchor on CP24 Breakfast, Monday to Friday, 5 to 9 a.m., which is Toronto's number one morning show. He used to work with me behind the scenes at TSN, and then he was on air for SportsCenter and March Madness shows. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, Gurdeep. It's an honor to be here, Hound Dog. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm stoked to talk to you. Uh, it's been a long time since we chatted, actually. Uh, how you been doing? Been, you know, good. I mean, as good as can be expected in a pandemic, I guess, right? I mean, I'm I'm working and I've got my health and the family's healthy. So uh, I guess we've all learned to focus on the positives at a time like this. So I won't complain. And uh, what do you uh, what do you miss, miss the most, though? And, and, and on the contrary, what have you discovered that you uh, like doing that uh, makes you happy uh, in the last few months? Well, solid opening question, Hound Dog. Um, what do I miss the most? Honestly, it's probably a pretty typical answer my main thing that i miss is traveling like you know I, I used to love traveling i was big on sort of like quick trips you know like leave on a thursday come back on a sunday so you only got to take two days off work quick trips to like you know latin america or nice. uh, the southern united states or maybe like a quick five six day trip over to europe and back like always looking for deals and stuff like that uh so i really miss that i miss you know going to restaurants and stuff um it's just become so normalized not having that. So, you know, it's almost going to feel super strange when you can't jump on a plane again. I was lucky. I actually did a quick three day trip to Jamaica in mid February, pre pandemic, obviously not knowing any of this was going to happen. So I did get one in before all this happened, which I feel grateful for. Um, but you know, I have learned to, like you said, focus on the pandemic positives. And there's a few things I've discovered that, you know, I, I probably wouldn't have if it wasn't for the pandemic. One of them, um, is is hikes like just getting out for hikes i've been doing that a lot throughout the summer trying to explore some new places in southern ontario and i loved that i found it really good for my mental health uh, playing spike ball i've become a huge spike, spike ball. ball i've never put fan. that before 
Oh my god, do you know what it is? No, I don't think so, no. Oh, hang on. You gotta like Google it. It's uh it's amazing. It's it's like very culty, but uh it's the people <laughs> who, who like it love it. It's basically you've probably seen it in parks. It's like this round uh, little thing. Um, and it's like a net. There's like a round net, and you, four people stand around it. And you're slamming this yellow ball off it. It's like volleyball. There's like bumps that spike, but you're slamming it off the ground, uh, off this little net. It's it's amazing. Oh. Uh, simple and a great game. So I played that a lot this summer. And then the other one, you know what I'm going to say, buddy? And this is uh, probably your you know poking of the vo- my voodoo doll. Uh, <laughs> golf, man, golf. <laughs> I've been golfing like once a week after like never golfing in my life. Well, that's a funny. I was, I was. Uh, that's just funny you say it because I was. Uh, I'd written that down. I was gonna say that. I remember uh, one of the last times I talked to you. I'm like, hey man, like uh, you getting out golfing at all? Like, and then you're like, nah, I'm not really too uh, too fussed about it. But then uh, I look at your social media and it looks like you're golfing all the time. Uh, you just not, you, do you not not like golfing with me or? <laughs> oh man. Okay. So the, yeah, the backstory for everybody. <laughs> when you and I were working together as writers at TSN, you were like this. Like a hotshot golfer, everybody's talking about it. And you were golf is your favorite sport, right? Like you yep. know everything about golf. You're the golf guy at TSN. Like anytime there was a big golf tournament, Hound Dog is covering the golf tournament. You'd lock in with your headphones and, and you knew everything. You're a big John Daly guy, if memory serves. Oh, yes. Um I I never really played golf, like maybe once a year at a buddy's charity tournament. I was lousy. I didn't really know anything about it. I didn't care to get better. I always just figured golf would be a sport I play when I'm like, you know, when I get old or whatever. And I, well, 15 years later, I'm a little bit older and this pandemic didn't really allow us to do much indoors. So golf is kind of like the perfect pandemic sport, right? You're outside, you're getting fresh air, you're getting some exercise. I don't get the golf cart. I walk oh, and you're, and you're socially distanced. Um, so a buddy of mine named John Moore, who hosts the morning show at News Talk 1010, he, uh, he's been golfing every week for years and he's, you know, twisted my arm to come out with him and like I did to you, I said no to him for about a year. And then finally, <laughs> once the pandemic hit, I was like, yeah, you know what? What the hell else is there to do? Let's do this. And, I, you know, part of me, I guess it's my ego. You know, like I didn't want to golf with you, Hound Dog, because I kept hearing how good you were. And I'm like, nah. I don't want to golf. I don't want to golf and force them. <laughs> when everyone's putting up 70s and 80s, I don't want to be like hacking around a 120 and just have everyone rolling their eyes at me. I don't want to be that guy. So I was a little bit nervous for that, but uh, it turned out this foursome we put together for the summer, which is John Moore, uh, Bill Coulter from the morning show I, I, I'm on, and uh, Maureen Holloway, who works with Rogers. The four of us were golfing every Thursday, and we're all like kind of the same skill level. And uh, we golfed every Thursday, and it was so fun. And honestly, we played our last round of the year a couple of Sundays ago. We got it in late November, and I felt like a true like golf fanatic, like golfing in like you know three, four degrees. Um, and I loved it, and I miss it, and I can't wait to I can't wait for the spring to get back. Uh, it's it's the absolute best. It's a bit of a fallacy as well that I'm that good. Uh, I'm pretty good, but I mean, uh, mid eighties. What do you shoot? What do you shoot? Tell me. Don't be humble. Um, I mean, I, I have the talent to occasionally shoot in the seventies, but uh, usually I'd say like low eighties to mid eighties is is the, on the average. Dude, that's outstanding. That is insane. That's depending so good. on the course. Depending on the course, like obviously Deer Creek, which is my favorite, is. Have you ever played Deer Creek in Ajax? It's awesome. Uh, no, that's a little I bit haven't. easier. So. You know, harder okay. courses, no, it's going to be a little bit higher, probably around 90 I, or something. I will say, I only, pl- as much as I golfed this time, and I think I golfed like 25 rounds, I only played one course. So my diversity of course is not very good. <laughs> uh, we played we played Flemington all summer just because it's it's nine holes, it's quick. You know, I do it after the morning show and you're kind of tired. All I had the, the energy for was nine holes. And it's so close to downtown, like it's DVP and Eglinton. So like we didn't have to drive way out there to go. And, you know, we tee off at two, done by 430 
you get home by 515. It was like the perfect like amount of time. And I will say the best I shot all summer, and I'm proud of this. I know most other good golfers wouldn't be, but I shot a 44, which included a round of um, one par, uh, seven bogeys, uh, sorry, two pars and seven bogeys, I believe. Wow, and consistent, um, yeah. and to, to me, that was the most consistent run I had all summer. And I felt so good about it because of the consistency. And, you know, I, I shot like nine over par. And to me, that was that was great because most of my other rounds were like around high 40s or 50. So I'll happily sign that scorecard with a 44. <laughs> well, that's what I always say to people, uh, depending on it doesn't matter where your skill level is in golf. You always want to get better and you always think you can do better. But always hold on to those rounds or those shots. It could even be one shot that's awesome. That you're just like, oh, that's going to bring me back. Because I've had rounds that were miserable, but you hit one good shot on 18, and then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, I need to go ahead and play again. You know, (laughs) it's just funny. Honestly, I lost so many balls, but I don't even remember. The four shots I remember, the four holes I remember, I had four birdies this uh, this summer. And all I think about are those four birdies, including (laughs) a par four where I drove it onto the green. And that was probably the happiest I was all summer. (laughs) That, that, uh, That sounds awesome. Uh, I briefly touched on on in the uh, intro there. Uh, discuss your uh, your career path in the in the TV industry. Um, man, okay, so that's that's a good one. That's all you know. There's a long version and there's the the short version. I'll try to sort of give you maybe the medium version. <laughs> so uh, you know, I'm grew up in Etobicoke. Uh, didn't know what I wanted to do in high school. I went to McMaster for university initially for business. Wasn't really passionate about it, but just kind of had decent marks and thought, okay, this seems stable. Let me do business. Started volunteering for the, the newspaper at university, got an opportunity to write because uh, they were short on sports writers and sports was my interest. So they're like, hey, do you want to write? And I'm like, hell yeah, I want to write. This is my first week university. I thought I'd be sort of delivering newspapers or collating in the newsroom. Instead, Good I get word. a chance to write. So they're like, hey, we, you're covering men's tennis. This is where you got to be. Go do it. I'm like, I'm just getting my bearings, my new dorm and my new setting. I'm like, okay, sure, I'll be there. Go cover men's tennis, write the article. Don't even think it's going to run because I'm like, it probably sucks. Never written before. Uh, And the editor, it's a weekly paper. The editor calls me a couple days later and he's like, hey, he's like, "Uh, have you written before? And I said, no, I haven't. He goes, you didn't have a high school newspaper or anything? I said, no, sorry, man. Like, is, is the story lousy? Like, can I fix it up? And he's like, the story's great. He goes, it needs minimal editing. It's running. And he's like, I want you to cover rugby next week. Mm-hmm. I covered I covered rugby, wrote a story, it ran. All of a sudden, this became a weekly thing. And I realized after the fact, I guess story structure for newspapers was ingrained in my brain without me realizing. Because my routine as a kid every day was, you know, you wake up, as you're getting ready for school, I'd be watching Sports Desk or Sports Center. You know, mm-hmm. it used to be Sports Desk. Yep. I'd watch a bit of that, and then I'd watch a bit of news. And then I'd go downstairs and have my breakfast with my parents and, wa- and read the newspaper. Um, mostly the sports section, but sometimes the news section. And I would read that every morning, and I guess it just got ingrained in my brain without realizing. So the story structure and how to how to piece together a story just kind of came naturally to me. Um so I, I started writing uh, first year, second year. I had a regular beat, was covering McMaster's football team, which was really exciting because it was during the Jesse Lovison years. Mac had a pretty good football team, so I was covering some, some pretty big stories. Um, and then third year, I took on an actual uh, paid job with the newspaper, which was assistant sports editor. Uh, fun fact, the sports editor was Chris Black, who was ah. a, a produce, worked at TSN and is now a producer over at Sportsnet. And then when Chris graduated, I took over the paper in fourth year as a sports editor. So then I was, you know, putting together the paper, hiring writers, laying it out fully like an administrative and editing and writing job. It's like a 40 hour a week job. It paid 125 bucks a week, uh, basically bar money. Right. Um, And after graduating uh, Mac, I basically just started uh, throwing out, you know, um, 
I started hitting up everywhere to try and get in as an intern. I applied to like 30 places and I wound up getting into my top three choices. Luck would have it. Uh, the score and the hockey news as an intern and TSN as an actual paid writer. So I was working three jobs and that's when I met you hand dog in 2006. Um, Time flies. yeah, no kidding. Right. Uh, I worked behind the scenes for, for a couple of years uh, at all three, turned the internships into part-time jobs. So I was working three gigs, put together a demo, uh, send it out everywhere and eventually managed to land my first on-air job in uh, fall 2007 on Rogers Cable, hosting a, a morning show called Daytime. Small cable show, not many viewers, made a ton of mistakes, but it was a great place to sort of make mistakes because, again, this was sort of pre-social uh, media <laughs> being rampant and, <laughs> and not a lot of people watching, so you didn't get vilified anywhere. If you did, you, you didn't really have to hear about it. Um, so that was great. You know, I was more nervous for those shows that nobody was watching um, than I am now for, you know, hosting the breakfast show just because, you know, amount of reps and stuff like that, you kind of get comfortable. Uh, so I did that for a season. Then Rogers Toronto hired me for a season to do sports. I became the sideline reporter for the Toronto Marlies, uh, hosted a, a sports call-in show called Toronto Sports Show with Ben Ennis, who's now over at Sportsnet. Um, and then CP24, that was the big break. I, I got hired to do weather, believe it or not, weather and traffic with CP24 in 2009. knew nothing about weather and traffic. So just <laughs> basically, you know, I kind of knew the roads in Toronto because I grew up here. But traffic, uh, weather, I just sort of studied from some books I found. And learned, you know, uh, high pressure, low pressure, warm fronts, cold fronts, learn the basics enough to be a quote unquote weather specialist and train under the meteorologist. Did that for like six months. Then eventually they moved me to the helicopter. I did helicopter traffic. I was the guy in the sky in the morning. Hmm. Um, and then it was general news reporting, then anchoring, then weekend breakfast. And then TSN came along in 2013, went there. I did TSN for three years, Sports Center, March Madness. Uh, you know, I really wanted to host live events. That was my thing. Probably got maybe about 10 live events, uh, you know, when uh, the big dogs needed a break, like James Duffy and stuff. I probably got in on, you know, uh, five or six Winnipeg Jets games, uh, maybe four or five Ottawa Senators games. And that was a real thrill being on, on the hockey desk in Studio 6 with, you know, look down the desk and you see Bob McKenzie and Darren Dreger and Pierre Lebrun. That was a big highlight for me growing up watching those guys. Um, and then after three years there, I got the opportunity to have – a stable Monday to Friday uh, gig with, with CP24 Breakfast, uh, which was the one role at CP24 I didn't do during my first lifetime there. So it was really ap- appealing to me. It's a fun show with a, with great people and people that I love to work with, uh, genuinely have fun every day. And it's the first Monday to Friday TV gig I've ever had. Uh, I took that in 2016 and it's been four and a half years and I'm still there and, and I still love it. Uh, and I'll be honest, Gurdip, uh, you're waking up, I think, around like about 3, 3, 30 in the morning, something like that. Uh, I'm attempting to go to sleep by then because I work on a Jay and Dan show uh, and I'm always to trying uh, to go to sleep by then. So I, I don't even see your show, unfortunately. Uh, tell us about it. And, and there must be some like, funny, uh, embarrassing stories. Yeah, two ships in the night, eh? You and I, Hound Dog? Yeah. It's funny. Um, I was like, I'm naturally a, a, like a night owl, or I was before this job turned me into someone who goes to bed at like 7.30. I do see you yeah. in the morning, funny enough, because Jane Dan plays overnight. So again, it's like I'm a kid again. When I wake up, <laughs> I'm watching Sports Center with Jane Dan, where Hound Dog makes an occasional appearance, and it's always hilarious. And then I watch, uh, I watch some news as well, and I'm doing some reading as I, as I wake up and prep. So just like I was when I was a kid. 
Um, my alarm goes off at 3.16. I'm super weird, and I never like round numbers when it comes to alarms. Or yeah, to same, micro- same I, for me. Putting stuff, yeah, like when I warm something up, it's never a minute. It's like 57 seconds or a minute, oh. one second. I was, was going to say for me, it's like uh, 55 seconds or like a minute, nine. Any, anything that equals 10, like the digits, like one plus nine or five oh, plus, uh, you know, that's what I do. Interesting. But yeah, yeah. Okay. My, yeah, mine's just not any round number. I mean, we probably both need some therapy to sort that out. I don't <laughs> yeah. know where that comes from. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, like the best part of this gig is like, uh, I, I genuinely like my, like the people I work with, I could call my TV family. Like Pooja Honda is, is the best person in TV I've ever worked with. I call her my TV wife. Like we legitimately laugh every morning. Um, you know, when we're having a funny chat on TV, we call kicker chats when the commercial break hits and we have to wrap and throw a break. We, it's not like we sort of go on our phones or turn our backs. We keep laughing throughout the break and just probably take the jokes offside and say the x-rated stuff we were all thinking that we couldn't say on, you know on a, on a morning family friendly show um so th- that part is great like i feel especially in a pandemic like you know all the people who are working from home who got who are now sick of it i think that you know we had the option early in pandemic to like hey if you don't feel comfortable in the newsroom we can all work from home and we all collectively said no this is really good for our mental health we want to come in because this, this these four hours where we get to laugh with each other and do the show and then go home and then isolate you know, I didn't feel as much strain as other people did because I felt like I was getting my social fix. I wasn't like jonesing to go out on a weekend or see my friends or whatever, because I still felt like I was seeing people and getting that interaction. So I felt quite lucky that way. But, um, man, I can't really pick out one story. Uh, <laughs> you know, like there's just, just hilarious stuff that happens that happens every time it's four hours of live TV. So there's mistakes and there's times you just are laughing so hard. You can't get it back on the rails. And there's just, we whip a ball around the newsroom behind the scenes. We've almost been caught on camera in serious news stories, whipping a ball around a room. So, (laughs) you know, we're just, we're big, we're just kids and we have to, you know, pretend we're serious on TV, but we're, we're honestly all like five kids on the show. (laughs) And you haven't had a a time where you accidentally said like a swear word or something like that, where it was just like, Oh, Oh no. As soon as you said it, you're just like, Oh crap. That's just the worst. Oh, um, I think okay. I you know what? It, I don't think I've ever said anything too egregious. I think I think once I said "kick ass" on the show, and after <laughs> after we went to break, I was like, "Oh, should I not have said that?" It seems a little. There is a really funny story with um, my co-host George Loganjanis. Uh, he was we were doing a chat. I can't remember about what, and he wanted to say um, "batshit crazy," but he was gonna whistle over shit. So he was gonna say, "Yeah, that person was bat." crazy and we did this bit we were talking and he goes yeah that person is crazy oh, no. and, then, and then and we went to break or whatever and he's like la di da didn't realize it we're like george you just swore he's like no i didn't i whistled we're like dude you whistled over bat you didn't whistle over the and he's like what and we watched it back and he couldn't believe it he whistled over the wrong part oh, geez. Um, that's awesome yeah so uh yeah that's happened a couple of times and luckily we haven't gotten in uh i mean we haven't gotten canceled yet so that's good <laughs> yeah that's awesome i saw your on your instagram story today that uh, uh one of the stories you posted was there's plastic surgeries are going up uh that's just hilarious uh tell us about that uh, that story yeah that, i mean honestly the, the pandemic's crazy right like it's got all its um sort of like overt effects, which are like obviously the strain on the public health and the financial strain it's taking. But then it's got all these strange byproducts that like you wouldn't have thought of, right? And one of those is all the time we're spending on Zoom and people living at home. And I never would have thought people are getting more plastic surgeries. That's the story. Plastic surgeries and divorces, by the way, are also way up, which is unfortunate. Divorce lawyers are making bank during this pandemic. And so are plastic surgeons because apparently – you know, people are on Zoom all day 
and I guess they're feeling conscious about how they look on Zoom. So they're seeing maybe like bags under their eyes and things they didn't maybe didn't notice about themselves before. And because as the story goes, because you know, you can choose to turn off your camera in a Zoom and you can recover from plastic surgery without taking time off work. People are choosing now to go get plastic surgery because they can keep working and just turn their Zoom camera off and be recovering from, I don't know, you know, <laughs> ins- insert your plastic surgery, like whether it be, I don't know, Botox or eye fillers or a hair transplant or a boob job, whatever. Uh, you can recover without having to take any time off. And that just seems so strange to me, but I guess if you think about it, it kind of makes some sense. I guess it does, yeah, but uh, I can't even personally imagine, uh, you know, I'm not that I'm, I'm certainly by no means a flawless, that's for sure, but I, I couldn't even, I can't even imagine doing that. It just seems weird to me. Or like butt implants or something like that, that's just, that just a step too far. <laughs> to me. I don't know. Uh, that's, that's just weird. By the way, uh, Grant Nabesy Roberts, uh, audio extraordinaire at work, he edits these podcasts, and he wanted uh-huh. me to say that uh, your EQ level uh, settings were the best at TSM because you have the perfect <laughs> tone voice. Oh, Grant, he's the best. He always used to tell me that when I was at TSN when we do sound checks. He's like, I'm going to set you as the default because your level is perfect. I'm like, <laughs> great. I mean, I would have rather had like, you know, the, be- the best voice, but that belongs to Rod Smith. Like Rod oh, Smith God, is like yeah. that deep baritone, the, the voice of God, the voice of TSN. I'd rather have that than like a cool voice for sound checks. But I mean, I guess I'll take it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's impossible to uh, to match that of Rod Smith. He's just an absolute legend, the greatest. Yeah, like I could I could listen to Smitty reading like the Apple user license agreement like, <laughs> and, it, and it would be amazing, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's a treasure for sure. Uh, I'd like to get a, a little bit serious here for a second. Um, how challenging was it uh, to receive blowback and uh, really horrible, nasty remarks a few years ago when you uh, hosted SportsCenter with uh, Nabil Kareem? Yeah, um, man, that feels like a while ago. That was, I think that was 2013. If memory serves, I, I don't remember, but you can, you know, if you're interested in the story, you can Google it. It's still there if you Google Gurdip and Bill. Um, so just for context for people, so this was. Um, this was on TSN, uh, Nabil and I hosting the 1AM Sports Center together, and we were. It, it was coming out of um, an Alberta uh, hockey game. It was coming out of, uh, I think it was like Oilers Flames, like a 10 o'clock start. So we have, you know, you got a big lead-in audience, right? Heavily Alberta audience and a big lead-in audience. Everyone watching that game is now, you know, bleeding right into Sports Center, which is generally a good thing to come out of a live event. It's good for ratings, but. Uh, this was the first time that, uh, you know, two minorities were hosting sports center and, you know, it wasn't by design. It wasn't like TSN saying, Hey, let's be bold. Let's try something here. Let's have two Brown guys hosting TS hosting sports center. It just happened. We, we were the two guys on the schedule that day, right? Like, you know how it is at TSN. It's like different people host with, you host with everybody. It's just mm-hmm. how it works. It's like plugging holes based on who's available to host whatever show. And honestly, I didn't think anything of it. I don't think Nabil thought anything of it. If he did, he certainly didn't say it to me before the show. I mean, I think both him and I grew up, he grew up in Vancouver. I grew up in Toronto, very multicultural cities, you know, went to very multicultural schools. I grew up in a very white neighborhood. Um, so to, I, it's just not something I ever really thought of. And maybe that was naive on my part. But what happened was uh, we did the show. We actually had a really good show. I remember the producer, George, uh, afterwards, like we always debrief after the show. And he's a like, great show. We had minimal fix ups. You know, everyone went on their way. I went home. You get home at like, you know, two uh, thirty, three o'clock and put my phone away, went to bed. And I, I woke up and uh, I picked up my phone, as we all do when we wake up, and my phone was hot. I'm like, what the heck? That's weird. Mm-hmm. And my phone was hot because, you know, when I turned it on, the, like the screen was just it, it was just tons of messages like people 
texting me links and just like notifications and Twitter and like, and I was like, what, what the heck is going on? And uh, the first thing I saw was a notification saying it was from Yahoo Sports when, I, when I swiped down and, and it said two, two Indians host sports center and the internet erupts in racism. And I'm looking at it and I'm still not really connecting what it means because I'm just waking up. Mm-hmm. And um, I, this was a, during a unique time where I was still um, I was still working at CP24, but also working at TSN. I was kind of doing both. So now that I say that, I think this was actually like 2011, maybe when this happened. So I, I like I read a couple of the tweets and I got a sense like, oh, OK. Um, oh, OK. There's some pretty racist tweets. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't have time to really soak it all up because I had to get into work. I was starting at noon at, at CP24. And by the time I got in. Uh, my bot when I walked into the newsroom, it was like everyone kind of like turned and looked at me, like kind of like with a sympathetic oh, look. And I was like, okay. And my boss called me into the office immediately. Uh, my boss was great at CB24 back then, uh, and she said, uh, you know, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, like I'm I'm okay. And you know, I'm starting to read some of the stuff now and seeing that this is a pretty big deal. There's an article that George Strombolopoulos did at CBC. My f- email and my phone. I don't know how people got my number. I'm getting requests from the Toronto Star, the Globe and Mail, a, a magazine in New York City, um, oh, the National God. Post. All the all these media are reaching out to me to get me to comment on what it's like to face all this racism. So, look, I, like I'm talking to you about it now, I, I was okay talking about it, um, but I was in a unique position where I was working for two channels, and you know, you kind of got to clear everything with your bosses. So I, I said, listen, I, I'm fine talking about it. I'm fine not talking about it. What do you guys want me to do? So. The powers that be at CP24 and TSN, they talked and they said, okay, look, we don't want you sort of being the poster boy for racism, um, but we do think you need to address it. So we want you to do one interview. Um, so I did uh, the TSN drive show, which at the time I believe was with Dave Naylor uh, or, or James Sabolsky might've been actually at the time. And uh, uh, I did that show at four o'clock. I, I jumped on and I talked to him and the bill and I were on it together and we talked about it and we, we joked about it. And um, honestly, like Hound Dog, you, sorry, you know, I didn't really answer your question uh, in terms of the backlash. Honestly, I'm not, it didn't bother me. Like um, the, the nature of the tweets were mostly like, hey, like two brown guys should be hosting SportsCenter. What do you know about hockey? You know, oh, like, good, you know, um, the, the most egregious one was probably there was one that said, uh, welcome to SportsCenter, Osama and Saddam. Oh, my God, like, man. And it's like uh, they don't even really know where we're from. So I, like some of them were comical. Like, honestly, I'm not, it, it, uh, it hurts me more if someone tweets me and it's like, hey, you're a terrible broadcaster. Because right. that's like, oh, man, like, OK, do I need to work on something like, you know, because there's no perfect broadcaster. It's an imperfect science. But for someone to just tweet that you're uncomfortable watching a brown guy read your Flames highlights, that's not on me. That's on you. That's on the viewer. So, you know, there's nothing I can change. That's that's you. So if anything, I felt I felt bad. I felt sad for those people because, you know, I grew, growing up in Toronto, like I, I grew up just sort of accepting people, accepting everyone. It was just sort of how I was brought up. And, it was an opening, eye-opening moment for me because I've always defended Canada anytime I travel and people make jokes about Canada or whatever. And what it taught me to do was I stopped saying Canada is blank. Canada is this. Canada is tolerant. Canada is accepting. I've stopped saying that because what I've realized is Toronto is not Canada and Canada is not Toronto. Right. Toronto is a lot of things. Toronto is very progressive. Toronto is very multicultural. Toronto is very tolerant. Toronto is very accepting. Unfortunately, and I hope it gets there one day, 
All of Canada is not. Small town Ontario is not. Small town Alberta is not. The majority of those tweets came from places that were not the GTA. Um, uh, you know, there, there was one guy who, who I think it was, um, you know, he worked for the, the provincial government in New Brunswick. And he had that in his Twitter bio and he tweeted something super racist. And, you know, I obviously didn't respond to any of these tweets. And uh, someone saw that tweet and they quote tweeted it and tagged the province. Jeez. And, uh, you know, th- then this guy had to issue this apology. And it's like, I mean, how do you not know at this point that <laughs> your job could be at stake if you're going to you're going to tweet out something super racist and you work for the province? So uh, in a way, in, a, in an interesting way, Twitter actually really kind of started policing itself. And for every racist tweet I got, you know, because that gets more headlines or mm-hmm. all these articles written about it, I probably got 10 nice tweets. I had some really great people reach out. Uh, and step up for me. And, and again, I wasn't offended. It hurts me more if someone tweets me and tell me I suck at my job than, you know, then they don't want to see two, two brown guys hosting a sports show. So the learning experience for me was just sort of um, pulling my head out of the naivety in terms of what, what Canada is and that racism is still alive and well here. And I think that point was brought to the forefront again this year, right, with the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. Racism is still very much alive and well, unfortunately. And, I, you know, it's only going to get better by us talking about it and people trying to be understanding and empathetic to how other people have, have come up. Um, but that, that was sort of the experience. And, you know, um, Bill and I talked about it after and him and I are still we're, we're good buddies. He's at, he's at ESPN now. But uh, it was definitely an experience. Yeah. Well, uh, you're, you're a stand up guy and you and him are both uh, obviously tremendous broadcasters and people as well. It's, uh I just, I just, it just baffles my mind. I mean, I grew up uh, in a small town uh, in Arnprior and predominant, very, very much predominantly white school. Like I would say 99%, if not more. And yet I don't have a, I don't have a racist bone in my body. I, 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 just, I, I can't fathom it. It just doesn't, it doesn't register to me because obviously, like you said, it is obviously very, uh, very much out there, but I just can't imagine hating someone just based on them being different than me. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't compute yeah, I just I just wish that was the case for everybody. It makes no sense to me. It, it, it infuriates me, obviously. Yeah, you were obviously brought up well. You know, if you don't have that ingrained in you, so uh, it's probably a good reflection on your parents. Yeah, no, they've uh, I've uh, very been very fortunate to, uh, to have them in my life. No question about that. Uh, discuss uh, your many uh, charitable endeavors that uh, that you have going on. Yeah, um, you know, I've been lucky that uh, I work with a bunch of good charities and, you know, I've been lucky that, you know, a lot of them have approached me and some of them I didn't even know what they did or what they were about when they approached me years ago. And then I got involved and educated myself and I'm so happy that I'm still working with some of them. Um, Gosh, one of them is World Animal Protection. Um, I started working with them probably about seven years ago. I'm an ambassador for them and one of the big campaigns I was involved with for them was called Colors Not Cruelty. And uh, again, I didn't know about this. And this was even before I was a dog owner. Um, what what Colors Not Cruelty does is, uh, you know, here, you know, pets are family, right? Like if you have a dog, it's like a member of your family. But it's not like that everywhere. In, in a lot of countries, often third world, third world countries, um, there's a lot of stray dogs and there's a lot of fear of dogs. They're not necessarily domesticated. And uh because of that fear of dogs, dogs often get abused, mistreated, put down if they're stray uh, for fear of them being rabid. And so what Colors Not Cruelty does is um, they they vaccinate these dogs uh, so that they're not rabid. And then they put a bright red collar on these dogs to show this dog has been vaccinated. It's not a danger. Um, and then they educate the they work with, you know, local um, 
folks in whichever country. I know that this is in India, it's in China, it's in Africa, um, and they educate people on on this campaign so that when they see these dogs with red collars on, they know they don't have to harm this dog or this dog doesn't pose a threat to them. Um, I had no idea that was, you know, I've, I've been to India many times, I've seen the stray dogs and I have seen the fear, but uh, I wouldn't have known what that campaign was unless I'd become part of it to spread the message. So, and you know, it was very much a word of mouth thing, a social media thing, and I educated my network and my friends, and they didn't know about it either, and now they do, and you kind of spread the word organically that way. So that, that's been a good one. Um, did some work with Camp Uchigayas, which is an amazing uh, cancer camp uh, for kids get to go to Camp Uchigayas. Um, you know, they have cancer just as I can escape. They have full treatment facilities up there so that they can continue receiving treatment. Well, you know, just being a kid and going to camp and doing the fun stuff that the kids get to do and feel like they're not dealing with with a life and death situation. Um, I ran the sporting like 10K for that for for a few years. Um, And then Sick Kids is another one that's super close to my heart. Um, My niece uh, had leukemia when she was really young, when she was three years old. Uh, This was like a long time ago. This was 18 years ago. Um, You know, to sort of watch my cousin go through that with her daughter uh, was really tough. Um, I'm happy to say, like, you know, she, she beat it, uh, yeah, thanks awesome. to sick kids, which was just, that was my first time walking into sick kids hospital. And I don't know if you've ever been there or if your listeners have been there, but it's just such an amazing place. It doesn't, one of the things people, one of the reasons people don't like hospitals is because you walk in and it, it feels like a hospital, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sick kids doesn't feel like a hospital. It feels like you're in this like magical, you know, Pixar type place. Like it's just amazing. And the staff are so great and they really care. And, uh, and they took such awesome care of her, and um, I'm happy to report that she uh, beat leukemia, and she is now um, 18 years old. She's in McMaster. She's at McMaster University, the, the school that I <laughs> I went to, and she's studying um, science to eventually study medicine. She's going to be a doctor. Wow. She was her high. She was her high school president. She uh, is so involved. She's a sick kids ambassador. She's she's done talks all over Ontario for sick kids. And she's also a super accomplished dancer as well. She's won like multiple dance competitions. So she's like the, you know, the pride and joy of the family now. She's got super bright things ahead of her. So that, that makes me super happy to see um, sort of a best case scenario outcome. But yeah, as a result, sick kids, uh, anytime they come calling, I always try to make the time for them. That's uh, that's amazing. I'm so uh, happy for that. Uh, that that story is uh, such a great one. Now uh, I'll get you out of here on a couple of uh, fun questions here, Gurdipa. Well, one is um, your fashion sense and style is, uh, I must say, uh, impeccable. Uh, How does a clown uh, who's hopeless like me uh, even have even a chance to look anything better like you? <laughs> oh, hell, dog! You flatter me, buddy. Oh my god! <laughs> it's true. Oh. <laughs> That, that's a good one. I mean, listen, uh, I can't take all the credit. Um, like, I, you know, I remember, I'll, I'll tell this quick story. When I was a writer uh, at TSN with you, uh, and I landed that first on-air job in 2007, um, hosting that morning show, I, I didn't really have many nice clothes to wear uh, for that show. And, you know, that was a very, it was a basic cable show, so there was no clothing allowance or budget. And Dan O'Toole uh, of, of your show mm-hmm. um he knows the story because I talked to him about it recently. He uh, and I are roughly the same size. And I guess he had heard uh, that I had landed this on-air job. Word travels quickly in the TSN newsroom. And he came up to me and said, hey, man, um, I heard you landed an on-air gig. He's like, my closet is exploding with suits. <laughs> uh, because, you know, once you're a big on-air personality like Jane Dan, you get uh, you have a clothing deal and you get a bunch of suits. And, you know, there's only so much room. So as you get new ones, you get rid of the old ones. You donate them or you pass them on to friends. And he said, look. I've got these suits that I'm just going to get rid of. Um, they're nice Italian suits. Uh, would you like them? 
And of course my eyes lit up. So my first two <laughs> yeah. suits uh, for daytime were from Dan O'Toole. They were nice uh, Mateo Moss suits. So um, shout out Dan O'Toole for getting me started. <laughs> and I remember thinking it was so inconceivable at the time. I was like, man, how does this guy have so many suits that he's running out of room? I'm like, how does that even make sense? And fast forward all these years later, like I, I'm with Tom's place. I'll give him a shout out because they're outstanding in Kensington Market. Great stylist there and so much selection. They have a ton of different uh, brands and, and uh, that they carry. Uh, my closet now all these years later is at a point where it's one in one out it's a capacity when i get a new suit i have to give a suit away um my best friend is roughly my size and he just started a job at uft that now requires him to wear a suit so um whenever i get new stuff now i give it to him he makes a couple alterations to it and then it's he's good to go so i'm glad i'm able to pay that uh dan o'toole uh goodness forward um but but yeah honestly to answer your question um hopeless there's there's a <laughs> there's a stylist that I work with at, at Goss style. Uh, sorry. at um, at Tom's place. And he puts together some of the looks for me. He knows like what I like. He knows I like to be a little bit funky. I like to be a little bit out there. Here's the reason like CP 24, you know, the channel, the video only takes up two fifths of the screen. The rest mm-hmm. of it is like, why wow, they're traffic at headlines. One of the early bosses at CP 24 told me like, Hey, dress a little flashy because there's a lot going on the screen. So you got to fight for company. You got to fight for eyeballs. Right. <laughs> um, and I think the focus groups have actually showed and this is very humbling. The number one thing people look at on the screen is the headline box. It's not even us. So that kind of stuck with me. And I thought, you know what? I can't wear just straight up boring suits. I got to be a little bit flashy without being ridiculous. And that sort of has dictated kind of the stuff I grab. So now that my stylist there knows what I like, um, but when I go there, he'll sort of have like 10 or 15 things laid out and I'll kind of like, you know, I'll choose a few things from what he's laid out. Maybe I'll go off the board a couple of times and draft something that's not even there. Um, and, but here's the crazy part, Hound Dog. Those are all in my closet. I don't choose what I'm going to wear the night before. A lot of people think I do. I wake up when I wake up at 316, come out of the shower at about 340, 345. I pop open that suit closet and I just look around and I'm like, all right, I'm going to wear this today. And I'll often break up suits and mix and match. I'm like, I'll wear pants from this suit, this suit jacket. I'll put together this shirt. I think this tie will look good with it. And let's go with this pocket square. <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I, I will say about 80 to 90% of the time, I think the look works on occasion. When I get into the makeup room, which is really well lit, I'll look at myself in the mirror and just go, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> like this, 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 this does not work at all. I don't have to take out the pocket square or like, you know, try and bring the look down a little bit somehow. But, um, you know, it's like muscle memory. It's like practice. You take your golf swing, you take enough golf hacks. You're going to figure out how to use your irons on the fairway. Um, you know, I've, I was, I don't think I was naturally a good dresser, but, uh, having to, you know, having to pick this, these out in what is, let's be honest, a superficial industry every morning, it sort of forces you to make good choices. That's so true. I I do actually have uh, some suits in the, in the closet. I used to wear them a lot more often back in the day. Uh, for some reason, I don't now. I, I don't know why. But uh, yeah, I guess obviously, if you're going to be on TV every single day, uh, I guess that's the the, the le- lesson for this. I suggest get on air somewhere, and then I'll be forced into having to look better. I think that's the the, the clear <laughs> and obvious uh, thing to do. Yes, or have Twitter tear you down when you wear something stupid, and then that'll <laughs> you'll never pick something stupid again. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, and lastly, <laughs> uh, I'll just say this: uh, uh, when you came back uh, to host on uh, SportsCenter years ago, there. It was so funny to me, and I didn't have the heart to tell you. Uh, I think eventually I did tell you this, but <laughs> it was so funny because everyone, of course, calls me Hound Dog. And uh, for quite a while, I, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, you, uh, you uh, would call me Hot Dog. Remember that? <laughs> and I thought that was just so funny. I didn't have the heart to be like, um, it's actually it's Hound Dog. But, uh, do you remember oh, that? Oh, man. Yeah, here's my, part of the, uh, here's my side of the story. Kate, for all the people listening – 
TSN is a ridiculous place because everybody has a nickname. To this day, there are people at TSN whose real names I don't know. I just know them by their nickname. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, everyone's like, oh, Hound Dog Harrison, Hound Dog Harrison. And they'd say it so fast. They're going to rush at TSN. I thought they were saying Hot Dog Harrison. (laughs) And the name never really made sense to me because I'm like, well, you're not a hot dog. You're like a really humble guy. So I don't know why you're being called a hot dog. Like I, I was deep. People call me deep show. Uh, Jennifer Hedger called me deep and delicious. So nice. then I thought, okay, I've never golfed with my, with Mikey. Like maybe you just have a different persona on the golf course. And maybe you're just like this, like this, like guy who like sinks like a 25 foot putt and then just goes full happy Gilmore. And I'm like, yeah. maybe he's a hot dog. Not totally know, untrue. Like, not totally untrue yet. <laughs> so I thought maybe that's where it came from. Then of course I remember the classic time. And I can't believe you haven't brought this up yet where you ate three Baconators at work. Mm. Three and three so quarters. I was like, yeah. We talked about that last quarters, episode. Which actually. is like, what is that? Like 20 slices of bacon? Like, I don't even know. Um, and then lot. I, and then I thought, okay, this guy jams a lot of burgers. Maybe he jams a lot of hot dogs too. So maybe that's <laughs> where the name comes from. Like did this guy once like go full Joey chestnut and just mash like 20 hot dogs. That's so awesome. I, I I rationalized it that way until you finally pulled me aside and were like, uh, hey, bud, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's Hound Dog. It's just a funny conversation because it's, it's almost feels like, okay, this is like an important conversation to have, but of course it's not. But it's like, hey, man, I, I, got, I got something to talk to you about. This is, this is important, oh, obviously. It's like, it was so funny. It's like when, uh, it's like when you, you know, when you've worked with someone for like four years and you don't know their name and you're just like, hey, man, hey, man. It's like yes. you, you get to a point where you can't ask someone their name. Yep. It's too ridiculous. It's the worst. It, it almost gotten to a point where you couldn't correct me, but I'm, I'm very, glad you did <laughs> uh, and no, now i see you funny. making your cameos uh, all the time on Jane dan and they're very clear to call you hound dog <laughs> yeah maybe they should call me hot dog or maybe i should have a, co- a hot dog eating contest uh, that sounds like, a, sounds like a good idea so uh oh boy that's good stuff uh, well gradeep uh this has been phenomenal uh really got, glad we got to catch up again and uh, very proud of your uh, success uh, it's been a lot of fun Dude, it's been awesome to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. I'm proud of your success too, man. You are a regular on Jay and Dan, and uh, you've come a long way. And uh, I miss you, buddy. Yeah, you too, man. We'll uh, we'll, we'll make sure we uh, we'll we'll catch up. And once this pandemic is all over, uh, hopefully soon enough, uh, you know, we'll have to go out golfing. I was gonna say, you know, what we got to do. Things are gonna get better. Like spring, summer. That's when we fire up the golf course. And this time, buddy, I will come with you. Sounds good. All right, take care. All right, take it easy, buddy. What an absolute beauty Gurdip is. I hadn't chatted with him in a while, so it was super fun reminiscing about old times and actually hearing the genesis of why he called me Hot Dog. So, so funny. And that story about his co-host George accidentally saying a swear word on TV was legendary. Love it so much. He's doing a phenomenal job on CP24 Breakfast in Toronto, Monday to Friday, 5 to 9 a.m. And you can follow Gurdip on both Twitter and Instagram at A. Thank you for listening to episode 48 of the H-Dog Pod. Bang. This has been the H-Dog Pod with host Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang. Mm, bang. Bing. Dude, there's another really funny one that uh, is still a meme somewhere. I don't have it, though. Um, this was like a few Christmases ago. One of the producers who was, who was doing the lower third, we were going to break and saying, oh, it doesn't look like there's going to be snow on Christmas. And the banner was supposed to say there will be no white Christmas. And there was in front of the Hudson's Bay windows, you know, the Christmas windows, and he forgot the word white. So it just said, there will be no, <laughs> no coming up, coming up, there will be no Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. oh. Like, oh my God, you are the Grinch, man. <laughs> That's amazing.